On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. I was always coming back to, to international cricket if selected. The thing that kept me going was, was my wife and my kids. Uh, got great support at home, my family, and uh, my wife is just a... Uh, you know, she's just my rock. She's unbelievable. She's determined, disciplined, um, selfless. Uh, and, you know, I hold a lot of credit to her. She's a strong woman and she got me out of bed um, a lot uh, in those sort of first sort of 12 weeks and uh, got me back running um, and training hard as, as I could um, and, and prepared for sort of the, the other formats of the game that I was playing and, and, and I did play. So it was just to maintain my level of fitness and just hard work. And, and, and she really nailed that into me. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, and as always, this is brought to you by News Corp. That was David Warner speaking after scoring a century against Pakistan overnight. And joining me to go through all the cricket news, I've got two gun cricket riders, Steve Wilson. Steve, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Thanks very much, Manners. Yeah, I'm very well. A little bit tired, but that's uh, to be expected. So you've been sinking your teeth into the World Cup for the dailytelegraph.com.au, smashing out all the articles. How's it been going? It's been going very well, yeah. I mean, apart from a, a couple of down days where the weather uh, left us twiddling our thumbs a little bit, it's been, it's been a, a good tournament so far, I think. Absolutely. And the other panellist is another sports writer for the dailytelegraph.com.au, Joe Barton, who got in here at 4am to start punching out the news about the cricket. Just so dedicated. Well, he had to be here. Hi, Joe. How are you? It was closer to 3.30 if Heath's listening. Heath is our boss. So, Heath, 3.30 I was in. So, Joe, let's start off. Before we get into all the World Cup news, listener mail, can't let it go, World Cup updates, I just want to ask you this. How significant was David Warner's century last night? Uh, incredibly so. I mean, you look at um, the result of the game and he set, that, he set everything up for himself personally. He'd had those two half centuries where he'd batted particularly well to get through kind of tough periods, but was then criticised for losing the bull and going a little bit too slow the, the go slow the, the two slowest half centuries of his one day career and you know phenomenally there's a bit of criticism around for, for getting half centuries but I think you could see the outpouring of emotion when he scored that the century the bull is back well whether it's the bull or a third incarnation of, of whatever Dave Warner is going to be he, he was definitely emotional after scoring that ton I think it was a big release it was first first in what, what it, 15, 18 months thing along those lines so I think it meant a lot to him and he batted. He did bat particularly well. I think it was a better hundred than I gave him credit for at the time because Australia had done batted quite comfortably, but uh, obviously fell fell to pieces after that. Mm. And I think it was possibly a tricky wicket to bat on. Yeah, so I think good good innings from Dave Warner, and I think it uh, huge bodes, moment for Australian cricket. It bodes He's well. Back. It bodes well for the rest of the tournament for him. That's right. Steve, so Australia have beaten Pakistan by forty-one runs. They head up to second on the World Cup ladder. 
It was pretty touch and go there for a while. I thought when Pakistan were chasing, they looked a really good chance of mowing that total down. Yeah, it was a wonderful uh, day of uh, one-day cricket, sort of ebbs and flows. I mean, sometimes, you know, previously there's been criticism over one-day cricket about what place it has, you know, with, with the choices that we have on offer at the moment. But that was a classic example of, you know, a test match condensed into uh, 100 overs or, or, or 99 overs as, as it was, or slightly less. Um, yeah, ebbs and flows. There was times it looked from the outset like Australia were going to absolutely cruise it and smash their way to something. 500. Plus. Yeah, well, or certainly around the 400 mark. I was going to keep saying 500 till it happens. <laughs> but then, yeah, Thanks to Mohammed uh, Amir, uh, one of the best spells, if not the best spell of this competition, uh, to rein them back in. And then a bit of uh, self-inflicted problems for the, the Australian middle order. It sort of reined back in. And then even with Pakistan's uh, run chase, there was times when they looked completely out of it and then times when they were back into it. And it was just uh, great to watch. But I think uh, Australia were, were always sort of likely to win once you've posted more than 300, but they made hard work of it. Yeah. Just a fantastic game. After all the rainouts, it was good to see some cricket. So let's go back to the Australian team selection because this caught me by surprise. I don't know about you two, but Australia dropped Zampa and Stoinis is out injured with a, a side strain. So they brought in Shaw Marsh to replace the Stoin and Kane Richardson to replace Zampa. So we didn't play a spin. I would have thought you'd at least play Zampa or Lyon. And I was even more surprised that Kane Richardson came in ahead of Berendorf because I thought you could put Berendorf to open the bowling and maybe save Cummins for first change, which is going to make it a really difficult prospect for opposition teams. So I guess, Joe, what's... What do you think about that team selection? I like Cummins opening the bowling, for starters. I think um, he's excelled in that role so far in this World Cup. He's Australia's leading wicket-taker with nine, equal with Stark, although Stark obviously has cleaned up the tail a couple of times. I didn't like dumping Zampa. I I mean, I always like to go in with a spinner. I I know the conditions in Taunton, typically for the list day games in England, have not been kind to spinners. I think they're go for roughly six and over, which is the most expensive ground in uh, in English county cricket. But I guess Pakistan also dropped they, their leg yeah. and went it's, in with an all-pace attack. So. I, th- I think both teams got a little bit spooked by the look of the pitch as well. There was that green tinge to it. That, and like Joe was saying, the, uh, what normally happens at Taunton, it's a very small ground and, and spinners get punished. So both teams may be perhaps guilty of overthinking it. And both teams at different times, especially in those middle orders, probably wished uh, they could go back and, and, and correct that because having a spinner in there. I mean, I personally, I don't have a problem with Zampa being left out. I don't think he's had a fantastic tournament so far. But if you're going to make a change, I would, if you're going to drop him, I would have liked to have seen Lyon come in and just offer that level of control in the middle that would have helped, you know, bring and some sort of solidity. And also get into the tournament. Yeah. You know, what if we need him in a, in a couple of weeks on a dusty track and he hasn't played a game? Like, get him in. It, it seems, I think it's a dangerous move to be dropping Zampa, though, purely because he does come across as a bit of a confidence guy. Leggies in general have to believe in themselves to um, to have that wicket-taking ability, which is what his great asset is to the Australian team. If you if you rock that confidence, it's hard to come back, especially, I mean, mid-tournament. You can't be, you can't be messing with the guy's um, kind of fragile egos and that sort of thing um the other thing i didn't particularly like is going in a bowler short i think it left australia really short-handed um had to squeeze out overs from had to squeeze out 10 overs effectively from maxwell and finch himself um, maxwell went for eight plus an over which you can't be doing um yeah stoyness's injury throws the whole team out not having that fifth bowler it does and it almost 
did call for bringing in Ebola for Stoinis last night. I mean, the middle order didn't do much with the bat anyway, so if we'd had an extra bowler... Push uh, up Coulton Isle. Yeah. Yeah. Carry at six. I know it's a bit thin, but until we get an all-rounder in there, our fifth bowler just looks so vulnerable, and that almost cost us the game. I wonder if what they thought as well was they're looking at the size of the ground and thought we can basically hit Pakistan out of this if we you know if we stack it full of batsmen all you know we can bat deep almost down to nine whether we're chasing or putting a score on then we'll just have you know the the batting power whatever Pakistan can sort of offer we'll have enough to put them to bed maybe that was the thinking behind it but I think it was a mistake yeah I agree completely so the Pakistan captain Safrez Ahmed won the toss sent the Aussies in Australia got off to a dynamic start Aaron Finch, 82 off 84. A couple of chances there. Uh, we saw some sort of typical Pakistan fielding last night, dropping some absolute dollies. Yeah. But he and Warner put on 146. Warner then motored to 107 off 111 balls. It was his 15th one-day ton. His third against Pakistan. His second in World Cup cricket. And uh, he brought it up in dramatic style, edging between first slip and the keeper to go to the boundary. So Australia were looking like at this stage making close to 400, at least, you know, sort of above 350. And uh, from none for 146, Australia were then three for 223. But then they just collapsed to 307 all out in the 48th over. And I think Australia's batting tactics are all over the place so far. I don't like this messing with Usman Khawaja. If you're going to pick him as your number three, you've almost got to leave him there for the whole tournament and just leave, yeah, just leave him there and let him bed into the role because bring Smith up to three last night and they brought Maxwell up to four. They get out and then Sean Marsh comes in and then you've got Kawaja in the sheds who can't really come in in the last five, ten overs and just cut loose. So I think that they're getting a bit too funky with the batting lineup. I'd like them to lock in on this engine room. Finch, Warner, Kawaja, that's your top three. And then you can mess with the little bit of the rest of the order, but... At the moment, Kawaj is not flexible enough to be doing this to him. So they've picked him in the squad. They've picked him as a number three. Leave him there. I, I agree with your assessment that uh, there's a problem there, but I, I disagree with your solution to it. I think what we've learned through this is that if Kawaj is going to play, he's got to open. And if he's not opening, then he shouldn't play, basically. I mean, that sounds absolutely ridiculous. I know no, you're, a huge you're, you're, call. I've heard you, it before. Yeah, 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 you're going to jump in and say, you know, highest run scorer, of course. No, no. That, that, that's all there. But what is Osman Kawaja in this team at the moment like you say I mean it's completely unfair on him there's, there's no fault with Kawaja who is a fantastic player but if he's sat there waiting and there's players just walking in front of him walking in front of him and then he comes in and what are you asking him to do come in and knock off a quick sort of 60 off 40 balls that's not his game that's not his style that's not what he's there for if you've got Smith, Marsh and Kawaja in that middle it, it, it just clogs everything up and so something's got to give and unfortunately I think in this instance, it, it should be Kawaja who's who's left out. If you go with uh, Finch and uh, Warner up top, and then Smith at number three, uh, and then Marsh at four, uh, and then you've got your middle order after that. Maxwell and, and Mitch Marsh, perhaps. And Mitch Marsh and uh, and Carey to come in and and knock off some sort of quick runs near the end. What yesterday's or last night showed and it's a theme that's come all the way through it, and I think we even touched on it when the squad was picked up before they went there, is that Australia don't know 
what their team is and we're sort of four matches into the tournament and they're messing around and chopping and changing you like you said there i think the best thing to do is to sort of make a decision and lock it in and then give people uh their heads but unfortunately i think that would mean kawaja uh just waiting in the wings but yeah. i think langer and finch are getting far too caught up in this left right hand combination yeah. or sending in a hit early i mean it's just complicating the matter and they came in with an uncertain top order and they're, they're just extending this period of uncertainty. And I, I don't particularly like having Smith at three and Sean Marsh at four, but I think it's not a bad option. But you can either go that or Kawaja at three and Smith at four. I thought they'd made the call with Kawaja and Smith, so I'm not sure why they didn't leave it there. And last night, sending Maxwell in in about the 28th over, I thought was maybe a bit too soon and... If he was instructed there to just go out and take on the attack, and he, I think he ended up with, what, 20 off 10. Didn't really need that innings. Uh, Maxwell had 22 overs to bat. What we really wanted was Maxwell there from the 40th over in those last 10 overs. So I think Langer, Finch, and the whole Brains Trust are just overcomplicating things. Which, whenever Maxwell comes in, it seems like we, we end up saying he's coming at the wrong time. I would love to see Maxwell come in in the twentieth over and be able, be mature enough to play that long innings and build into his innings. Be at some point, be fifty off sixty and then then accelerate. That's what I. That, that's desperately what I would like to see from Glenn Maxwell. Yeah, but he's not being told that, is he? He's being chucked in there to go and take on the bowlers. Well, if, that, if he's batting at five or six and you throw him in at four, if that's you the case, then asking him to play a different role. There's, then there's no purpose of him coming in before the fortieth over. If, if you're saying all we want you to do is face twenty five balls and try and hit a third of them for six or four, then sure, but then don't come in before the fortieth over. Like if you if he's going to be promoted to four or five, then you need to allow him to 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 play a more measured innings before he tees off. That's what I would like I agree, to see. Yeah, yeah he, he hasn't done that the past two matches. He's, he's, um, he's, Kind of lost his head both times. Yep, and we don't know whether that's instructions that he's been given or whether he's just gone in there and sort of got a bit carried away. I mean, we're four matches in. He's fa- I don't think he's faced more than 35 balls or something. Has he? In, in, he's in, hit in more time? fours and sixes than he's had dot balls. Yeah. That's got to be a fact. Yeah, He's obsessed with his strike rate record. Um, so Australia, they completely fell away, all out for 307. Smith, 10 off 13. Maxwell, 20 off 10. Sean Marsh, 23 off 26. Usman Khawaja, 18 off 16. Carey, 20 off 21. Really needed one of them to go on with it. So that opened the door for the Pakistan team. They came out to bat. Cummins got Fakar Zaman for a duck, caught at third man. And at one stage, Pakistan were two for 136 with Imam al-Haq and Hafiz batting really well. And I thought at this stage, Pakistan were on. And I didn't like Finch's tactics. The over after they got Baba out, they brought Maxwell straight into the attack. And I get Finch's point. He was trying to sort of uh, sneak, sneak through, through a yeah. couple of overs. But I thought it actually let Imam al-Haq and Baba get, get away, or Hafiz get away. So Pakistan were two for 136. I can tell you guys... I was very worried then. Now, the listeners can't see this, but I'm in my Aussie gold top at the moment. And at one stage, I wasn't sure I'd be able to wear that so confidently today. But then Pakistan lost three for 11, and that turned the game. And really, I don't think Pakistan were ever really able to get back into it. We saw the tail slog a few at the end, but I was never genuinely nervous. Going back to your um, your critique of, of Finch's tactics there, when is the right time to be able to sneak through some overs from from Glenn Maxwell? Because it really, like, you've got you've, you you can't use him in the in the first fifteen because that's just going to be ridiculous. You definitely can't save them for the final ten. You've got to try and find that 
sweet spot in the middle, and this this really was the only point. But I reckon if you get a wicket, that's you, your chance to try and break the game open. You bring Stark on, and you think if we can get two more here, they're four for four for not many. We're we're shooing here. I think they thought they'd done enough by getting rid of the openers. I mean, that was the you know the, the half halfway point. The the game plan was to a couple of quick wickets, and then Pakistan aren't really in this anymore because it's such a big total to chase. Which in the end, despite a few fluctuations, did prove to be to, to be the case. So I don't know if it was that much of a of a sort of wobble by Finch to do that. He he, he perhaps thought not that the game was won, but that Australia were in a, such a uh, dominating position at that point that then right I can get Maxwell through his overs and we can we can go on and tidy this up later with Cummins and Stark. Yeah, well I think I'm right, so whatever. <laughs> Cummins took three for 33. The pick of the bowlers looked on fire throughout his whole spell. We're seeing Stark being a bit wayward. He hasn't quite hit his full rhythm yet. Um, But let's hope he times that for the end of the tournament when he could be at his devastating best. Kane Richardson on his World Cup debut, two for 62. Man of the match, of course, David Warner. A, cu- a couple of points, just to, to go yeah, back. Go, sorry, sorry dragging it backwards no, a good. little bit. But I thought, again, speaking to this idea of Australia not really sort of understanding their, their game plan fully now, that was the third time in this competition that they haven't batted out the 50 overs. And I saw a stat that in the last or the four previous World Cups, that happened twice. So it, it just sort of underlines this idea that Australia is still searching around for the formula. What's good, though, is that they're winning matches and they look very much on course for getting into the, the final four and there's still a long way to go. So perhaps if you're looking at a sort of glass half full way of it, Australia really sort of scratching around a little bit, a few weak spots, but winning matches. And are they like Stark potentially timing their run to the business end when it really matters? Or the opposite. Will they get found out in the semifinals if they come up against a really good team like in India or in England? Um, All right, more Aussie team news. Let's move on from the game against Pakistan and some general Aussie World Cup news. Mitch Marsh is in England. Yes, he's flown over to save our World Cup. Marcus Stoinis has a side strain. It happened during the match against India. I can't see him staying on. I think it's too much of a gamble because he's so crucial in that role that we've discussed and if you're sort of trying to get him back to full fitness during this tournament and it doesn't pay off, then what do you do? Bring Mitch Marsh in for a semi-final, completely cold. So I think Mitch Marsh needs to come in. He's got a very, very good one-day record. Averages 36 with the bat and ball in ODI cricket. And uh, he's had some notable strong performances in ODI cricket since the last World Cup. In the last series he played against England, which was two summers ago, with the bat he made 50, 36, 55, 32 and 13. Very consistent. So uh, I guess, uh, Joe, what do you make of Mitch Marsh going over? It, it makes it makes sense. But if Stoinis' injury is one which is going to keep him out for even two weeks, then it's a no-brainer. Like. Marsh, Mitch Marsh has to come into A, the squad, and B, the team. We've, we've already discussed how the balance works. You've pointed out his record. I, I don't see how there's any way Australia would, unless they were to move Coulton Isle up to uh, up higher in the order, and we've discussed how that would hurt um, Alex Carey's batting as well. But unless that was to happen, Mitch Marsh comes straight in. He suits the balance of the team. He knows the team, and he's the perfect scapegoat if anything goes wrong. <laughs> I heard uh, Damien Fleming on the radio earlier this week, and he, he, he did make a very good point. You need to always, with the Marsh brothers, separate their white ball and their red ball cricket because Mitch Marsh is actually a very good one-day cricketer. 
He made a brilliant century against um, so is his the brother, Indians I'll, I'll at the I'll have you know. <laughs> Which one? So is his brother, Sean, who's is quite a good white ball cricketer. Yeah, we know. Yeah, we know. But uh, So, yeah, I think Mitch, Mitch could do really well in this tournament. He was integral in Australia winning the Under-19 World Cup, part of the 2015 squad. So I think they have to make this call pretty soon. I wouldn't mind seeing Mitch Marsh play on the weekend against Sri Lanka. What do you think, Steve? Oh, there's one, something wonderfully reassuring about starting a, a tournament with no marshes in your team and then getting halfway through, and there's two of them there. I, I, it's, it, it's a no-brainer. There's, there's, there's no, nothing really to debate. If Stoinis is hurt and can't play for three matches uh, or more, then you need to replace him with another seam bowling all-rounder and who is the other seam bowling all-rounder that Australia can pick. Mitch Mars and no one else so he comes into the squad he comes into the team and uh, you know good luck to him he's, he's a talented player but like Joe says you know, I fear for him if anything goes wrong around him because he's the, going to be the lightning rod for, for people's uh, upset. What if he hits the winning runs in well, a World Cup final? Australia needs six off the last ball at Lords. Uh, Joffre Archer coming into bowl. Mitch Marsh takes Put, him downtown. Puts him into the stands. I mean, it would be uh, quite the story. <laughs> All right. So some other bits of news around the Australian cricket team. Josh Hazelwood has made some interesting comments this week saying that he has not been able to really watch the World Cup because of the disappointment about being omitted from the squad. I guess any... And he's also said he's been working with Andre Adams on his action to sort of tighten up any areas to where he might have brought the stress fractures on himself. But what what do you think of Hazelwood's comments? Uh, Very fair. I think when you get this close, I mean, he's a hugely competitive guy. I can completely understand why he would be struggling to... Yeah, engage. Is that a poor attitude, though. I don't no. think so because he's 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 a guy who pours his heart and soul into cricket, and to know that he could be there and really probably should be there. I, I understand why they kept him out of the initial squad, but the second that Jai Richardson was ruled out, it made no sense to me at any level that Hoff wasn't the first guy called in. No, I agree completely. I mean, it, it is, it's a very common trait amongst, uh, you know, top level elite athletes that they're, they're so hyper competitive and uh, that they're into the battle but then they're not very good watchers and I don't think there's anything wrong with him saying that and then added into the idea that yeah I think Australia would be a better unit at the moment now if they had him in the ranks to call on that would be an option that would be reassuring because you know he's gonna gonna be reliable and he's gonna be consistent uh, if he's fit so uh, yeah I can completely understand those comments. Yeah, Hazelwood's a very honest bloke, as you know, who've listened to the podcast. He's been on a couple of times. He just speaks honestly from his heart. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't try and sugarcoat anything. So I liked his honesty. And I think you're exactly right, Steve. We're seeing now that the backup quicks of Kane Richardson and Berendorf aren't in the same league as Hazelwood. And as you said, Joe, Joe Richardson, you could sort of see where they were coming from because he'd done so well against India but as soon as he was ruled out, bringing in Kane Richardson ahead of Hazelwood Should have is, happened. is a massive Straight away. And, and the, missing out on the initial squad was an Ashes-related thing. You needed to have him in cotton wool. But once that first strip is torn away from, from the Australian quicks, he's there. And I can see why he's peed, pissed off. Because of course. Because he busts his ass for Australia in all forms of the game, bowls over after over in test matches. And he rests from one-day cricket sometimes because of all the work he does in test matches. And then the coach says, oh, he hasn't played much one-day cricket in the last 18 months. Well, why were you resting me then? Like, if you weren't going to pick me, why did you rest me? You should have said to me, you need to play 
X number of games before the World Cup or we won't consider you. I think part of it was the sort of panic over Australia not having a specialist death bowler in, in the ranks and sort of Kane Richardson to a degree is seen that that's one of the skills that he, he did has. Okay last and, uh, yeah, night. He, he did fine and you know, he, he, you know he's not sort of one of the world's best at it but he's very competent so that was what drew them towards him. But Nice guy. I saw him at a press conference um, after a big bash game and he just said I really like your shirt. <laughs> were, you wear, were you wearing the shirt you're wearing now? I wasn't wearing the shirt I'm wearing now. He said it's a very stylish shirt for a journalist. He's got poor taste. I was like, well, I'm a podcaster, so big difference. Sorry. No, no, I'm done. Uh, last one before we take a break. Virat Kohli has, I think, instantly won over 25 million people when he gestured for the Indian fans to clap Steve Smith rather than boo him. It's ironic because Virat Kohli's first you know, forays into getting to know the Australian public. We're giving the finger to the SCG crowd on his first tour here. And I guess eight years later, now he's potentially won over a whole nation. I don't like it. The thing that I loved about Virat was that he was ultra competitive and he hated Australia and he was always in the, in the, in the contest and that sort of thing. What's this compassionate side? It's not the Virat I grew up to, grew to love. No, it, it's great. It, it is good to see, um, to see Steve Smith finally getting a little bit of, like a tiny bit of support on the field. Because he's just copped it. But for day someone in, day like Coley to stand up and make a it, you know it means a lot. display like that, and and we saw last PDA, night PDA we last, can call it last night was the first was the first time Steve Smith's probably been out in public where he hasn't been heckled and booed and hissed at. So I don't know. It was uh, I'm not sure if the Pakistani fans generally take too much of their advice from Virat Kohli, but they were certainly in in applause and in. Good spirits yesterday. The, the English fans won't take any notice of what Virat Kohli has done, will Steve, they, Steve? Steve's been booing already off the mic. That's it. I, yeah, I, I just sit at my desk and boo for the first five minutes of my day <laughs> just to warm up into things. Yeah. All right, listeners, uh, that was the World Cup wrap so far. We're going to take a quick break on the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Just want to remind you that you can find me or the podcast on social media. So on Twitter, I'm at Amenners, A-M-E-N-N-E-R-S. Uh, the podcast is at Oz Cricket Pod. You can also find a sort of funnel for all the News Corp cricket news at News Corp Cricket. So that's all on Twitter. On Instagram, I'm at Amenners Cricket, or the podcast is at Oz Cricket Pod. Go on to social media, uh, follow it all during the World Cup. There's loads of stuff happening. It's a great time to keep up with the show on social media. All right, coming up after the break, we'll take a look at the World Cup in a broader sense. I was just focused ahead, and that was my that was my own thing. I was just focusing on playing the next game that I was playing in, um, training as hard as I could. I didn't need to, to say anything. What was said was said back in the in those press conferences. And now it's about looking forward. Um, I'm excited to be here. Obviously, we've a couple of games in now. Good, good to get a win on the board, and we move forward and looking forward to Sri Lanka at the Oval. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menas. I'm here with Joey B and Stevie W. <laughs> that was Davey W. Uh, speaking about not speaking to the press during his sort of year suspension. And uh, I think we've sort of universally agreed that it ended up being a good thing, him keeping quiet. Yeah, we've discussed this a couple of times, but there was no benefit for him coming out and speaking. I, yeah, I could I could totally see where he came from from that position. I think he, whatever advice he got worked in his favour because he just was able to go behind the scenes, stay in the background, stay out of the um, like. He had a whole nation that was that wanted were bang for blood. 
He's just quietly rebuilt his reputation. And also, if you don't say anything, you can't say anything stupid. Correct. Everyone, everyone misconstrues certain things that he says. So he's just quietly re- rebuilt his reputation and came back and said, I'm just going to win you back over by scoring runs. And that's seems to be what he's doing. Whoever it was who gave him that advice in his ear. As, as, James as, Erskine. Well, he's earned his uh, 10 or 15% <laughs> commission there just by uh, that one piece of advice, I think. All right, now let's crack on to the World Cup headlines brought to you by the dailytelegraph.com.au, the place to keep up with the World Cup because it has around-the-clock coverage, as you can, I can tell by the bags underneath my panellists' eyes. All right, let's look at the World Cup table. Hello, Bob. New Zealand are on top with six points from three games. A really soft draw for them. What, Afghanistan, Sri Lanka, Pakistan. Bangladesh was in there instead yeah, of Pakistan. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Bangladesh. Uh, Australia now in second position on six points. And uh, that win against Pakistan will be vital because of all the rainouts going on. You've got England on third on four points. India equal, but they've got two wins and no losses. And then Sri Lanka oh, have, have picked up. One win and two rainouts, so they've got four points. West Indies on three points, Bangladesh on three points, Pakistan on three points, South Africa on one point. Love saying that. South Africa on one point. I'll just say it again after four games. Afghanistan, and I'm disappointing three losses in three games. So I guess, Steve, tight table, as predicted, could go right down to the wire. It is tight, but it's also clear that the the – Four at the top already are the four that we most uh, pundits uh, sort of track towards, and and I don't necessarily see that changing. The West Indies have been There's one point between England, India, Sri Lanka, and West Indies, Bangladesh, and Pakistan. India's played, so two they're not games, really pulled away. They're yeah. not really pulled away. But yeah, Sri Lanka's a bit of a, an anomaly. And, you know, good luck to them, but uh, they've been <laughs> absolutely had their uh, backsides handed to them. Was it by New Zealand? Well, they'd be and, just and, praying for rain. Yeah, Sri Lanka, like, <laughs> Sri Lanka's got what? Five games left, five rainouts. That takes them to nine points. That might get them through. <laughs> well, yeah, they will be playing. Uh, so the only team I really see sort of coming from from the pack behind to challenge that top four is West Indies, who have been sensational at times, and have, in the flip side to Sri Lanka, have probably been hard done by the rain. So they they probably were on for a, an extra point against South Africa when the rains uh, came. The only issue with the West Indies is perhaps sort of longevity or, or stamina. They've got put an awful lot into their games. Their fast bowling has been sensational to watch, but they've got some sort of old uh, players there who are creaking a bit. So whether they can go uh, go deep, I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see uh, when New Zealand come up against one of the one of the better teams. They, like you say, they've had a very soft run, and they actually made hard work of beating Afghanistan, who've been massively disappointing in this uh, in this tournament. So I think New Zealand playing India next, so that we'll get more of a sense of how good New Zealand actually are. But uh, yeah, I think you'll find that game's going to be washed out anyway. So they might both get a point. All right, some uh, other talking points out of the World Cup in the last week. The Bales don't seem to come off the stumps when they're hit, unless they're smashed. So they've been the, the stumps have been hit five times and the Bales have not fallen off. The ICC have said they won't change the stumps mid-tournament. The, the makers of the, the Zing Bales, who are from Adelaide in Australia, insist that these stumps and Bales are no different to what's been used in the past. So there is some talk maybe they're just being banged into the ground a little bit too hard or, or something. But it's a real worry because it's been quite bizarre. It's so like, hard for the bowlers to get wickets when you hit the stumps. <laughs> you want the, the bales to come off. And look, we've we've seen it, you know, over 
over the past, you know, my in my entire lifetime, you see the ball roll back into the stumps and they kind of jump up and fall back into into the groove. But there was one with Warner where it, it smashed into the stump. Of and, India, yeah. And it it barely it barely kind of like flinched. It was just it was remarkable. Like I've I've never I've never quite seen seen that. And no, no one. I'm has. fascinated to hear that it is exactly the same ones which have been flying all over the in the big bash. I mean, that's what they claim, and you have to take that on face value. I mean, they brought out some numbers that were saying, you know, over you know the last three or four years that they've been using, this has happened sort of eight or nine times. It's just that five of them have happened in the space of six or seven days uh, in, in a World Cup. I mean... And everything is magnified Of in course, the World yeah. Cup. But, and but they, they, no they claim it's a statistical anomaly, which, you know, very, mo- very much may be, but... A couple of them the, where it's hit so hard, why it hasn't come off, I don't know. And it's a worry because you can sort of have a laugh about it. But if, you know, that's in a semi-final or, or, or the final. The World Cup, yeah, yeah, and you know, it's Coley and, you know, Cummins has got him but then hasn't got him. You know, that will be because then that's all everyone will talk about from that game. And when that would be an absolute shame. So hopefully it doesn't happen. But the numbers are just staggering. Of The number of uh, players who've been bowled, clean bowled, uh, if you add these five times that the bells have been hit, it's like one in eight times the batsman is surviving mm. when the ball is hitting <laughs> the wickets, which is incredible. So just got to rip the stump out of the out of the ground, don't you, yeah. Mitchell Stark style? Steve, should they have reserve days for the World Cup? Probably. Not. I mean, it, it probably can't be done logistically. I mean, it's already such an incredibly long tournament. I mean, we're we're part way into it. It, it can end up feeling quite long when it when it lasts for six or seven weeks like it does so to build in more time for that is is perhaps stretching it a bit the only solution i guess would be if they played two matches a day and then you know threw in a few sort of down days there but in terms of getting all the you know the ground staff getting the pictures ready getting the tv thing set up it's so difficult to do that they can i think they've got them for the semi-finals and the final if needs be but it's just it's just one of those things it's a shame that the rains come but you know, it's it's a fact of life. Watching cricket, sometimes you, you miss a day because of the rain. Is fact it, of life it, in England. Is it right if the two days of the final, like said, both the final and the reserve day, that if they're both washed out, is it right that there's no third or second reserve day and the award is just split? Is that right? I don't know. I'll have to rustle through my notes and try and find that. I don't know the answer, but that would be sure I saw that somewhere. Did Australia get the World Cup then because we won it last time? Just hold like, on to it. Even if we're not in the final, do we just, if there's rain out for two days, they give it to the last title winner? Put, put your proposal to the, uh, to the ICC, mate. <laughs> yeah, I um, think that in this situation, because there's so many rain outs forecast this week, it sort of may even out that everyone will lose a point here or there. But, you know, it could be decisive when it comes down to that fourth and fifth spot. Well, it's, it's happened before, didn't it? I mean, it happened in Australia when uh, Pakistan were, were all but out. In 1992. They were all out. England had virtually bowled them out when the rain came and then it was a no-result game. Pakistan get through and then in the final, everything turns around. So, it But is- that game's interesting. They talk about that. So Pakistan were bowled out for 70-odd and they had that stupid rain rule where mm. they just took out the least scoring overs. So actually, India, uh, England ended up having to chase 60 off 16 overs. So they might have actually lost or just... That was a <laughs> huge mistake, that rain rule. Next one. Injuries are starting to affect all the squads. Bangladeshi star Shakib Al-Hassan is injured, supposed to come back into the team, but he's a massive exclusion for them. Dale Stain out of the World Cup. 
and now stuck on 196 ODI wickets. I had South Africa making the semi-finals when I thought he was in in the squad. Well, not good. Not good? Well, he's been out, and Ngidi got injured. Was there there any injury cloud over Dale Stone when he came in? I I seem to recall. They said before the World Cup he should be right for the second or third Mm. game. So I took that on face value. They really need to come home strong for you to lift for you, Menace. No, I'm happy to be wrong about this one. It's, uh, like, being wrong about South Africa doing well is the most fantastic thing so far. <laughs> How's your uh, pick for Afghanistan getting in the semi Really good, really good. Um, but South Africa and Afghanistan are both down the bottom, and the, I picked them for the semi I've also been asked by somebody outside the podcast to remind you of a tweet that you did saying Australia wouldn't lose a game. Now, I would like to clarify this because I chose my words very carefully. I said, it is hard to see... Australia uh. losing a game in the World Cup. Never said they wouldn't lose one, but when they, they rescued their situation against the West Indies, it was that Australian folklore again of being in these unwinnable situations and and, uh, and winning. Like England do the opposite. They're in unlosable situations and they lose, like reverse sweeps at the wrong time and things like that and balls by Wazzy Macram. So that's all. I never said they wouldn't lose. It's just hard to see the, the great Australian team losing. A last question. Thank, good reminder, though. Yep. Joe, would you have picked AB de Villiers if you were, yeah, if you'd been a chairman of selectors for the South African Cricket Board and the day before the World Cup squads announced, AB de Villiers gives you a call and says, "Look, I want to play." Would you have said, "Okay, I'm going to write you down right now"? This is a really tricky one because the way he went about it could not have been worse. You can't, no matter how good you are as a player, and AB de Villiers is still among the truly elite batsmen in the world. I don't think anybody has the right to go one day before after an entire campaign has been done and say, oh, I'm unretired now, I want to play. However, if I was the person taking the call, I have no allegiances to any of the 15 players that South Africa did end up picking. I would just go, he's the best batsman you've got. And this team looks very thin batting. Outside of Quinton de Kock, I think we probably do need A.B. de Villiers. And the writing was probably on the wall. For for many of us, some of us didn't see the writing on the wall quite as much with South, South Africa, but for a few of us in this room definitely saw that uh, there would be big problems in that batting lineup, and it would hurt them long term, and probably wouldn't result in them making the finals. For that reason, I think I would have had to pick Abu Davilius, but I'd be also saying to him, "Mate, could you have done this any 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 earlier? Any earlier would have been much nicer for uh, for us, and it would have made life a little bit easier." Steve, what would you have done? A, a, a week, a month, six weeks earlier, and there's no question. Like you say. South Africa's campaign would have been, or almost certainly would have been, a completely different uh, scenario if AB de Villiers uh, was in their squad. They would be a vastly better team. Any team would be a better but team say with him. He called, though, and said, Look, a week ago I didn't want to play in the World Cup, but I, now as the announcements got closer, I just can't sleep at night thinking I'm going to miss this tournament. I've made a big mistake, Faf. Faf, we've known each other our whole lives, we've known each other since schoolboy cricket. I just can't sleep at night thinking I've stuffed up. I should be in this World Cup. It's it's too late for me. But, but, for for but my Faf, money, it's please. too late. No, 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 it's too late, mate. I mean, Fabs even said himself that it was probably too late. He sort of sort of tracked back on it a little bit, and it's not just the fact that it was so late, but that's a huge part of it. But it's also through the last sort of six twelve months, ev- do every more playing. <laughs> I'm not going down that path with you, manners. Um, Lights off. The uh, you really knocked me off my groove there with that. No, 
in the six months to 12 months before, every time he was asked about it, he explicitly said, I mean, I, I went back to one sort of interview uh, that he'd done where they just put that question to him. Oh, you know, when it comes to it, when you see them getting on the plane, will you think that? And he's like, no, well, even if I thought, this is his words, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but, you know, even if I thought that it would be completely unfair of me, no one can do that. When the squad's been picked, when it's that close, when people have done that, it would be absolutely wrong of me to do something like that. And that was six months out. To do it six hours before the team's announced, he just he's left it too late it's a shame and, and it's a terrible thing because if he'd done it six weeks earlier no problem get in and South Africa's campaign it's also is really terrible that the story got out when South Africa are nine and three in the World Cup yeah, I wonder well, how that happened well, that's why I wonder out, yeah. who was behind the scenes pushing for him one, maybe one of the guys who was mentioned on already I think Faf was very keen to have him in the team and uh, maybe that's where the leak came from ooh interesting thank you Joe Bit of news there from Joe Barton. Breaking news on the Cricket Unfiltered podcast, as always. I guess that's it for all our World Cup uh, around the grounds kind of thing. Anything you two want to add? Anything jump out at you? Uh, just to say that India looked like an absolutely terrifying prospect in, in both of their games. I think before a ball was bowled, uh, I made England as the, the favourites and India just behind him. And I've flipped that around, even with the, the injury to Darwin, which perhaps equalises them a little bit. But I just thought we've seen some great performances and bits and pieces from different teams, but they just look like a unit that has uh, very, very few weaknesses, if any. And uh, yeah, they're the team to beat in this tournament now for me. Yeah, the, the Darwin injury can't be understated. He's He's been superb to start the tournament, even through two games. Um, Pants been flown over on standby. How ba- exciting. The baby Rishab is back. But I would not be rushing any changes to get uh, Shiko out of the squad if I was um, the Indian selectors, because even if you're just waiting until... I'd I'd wait until the knockout games for for Shika. He's Melbourne's he's that good. very own Shika Darwin. Yeah, absolutely. They can get to the semi-finals without him, and then they can win those last two games with him. That wouldn't be a problem at all for them. I don't think it does. It does put a pretty big dent in their middle order if you're moving up KL Rahul. That that's that is potentially the only weak spot in that. I don't mind that. I don't mind KL at the top and Rishab coming in in the middle. Well, he can't come in because then there's no more Shika Darwin. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If Shikar, sorry, if they rule Shikar out, yeah. I don't mind Kale moving up to the top. I think he's a good opener. I think that team looks a lot weaker, but it's probably still good enough to win the World Cup. So listeners, we're going to take our final break on the podcast. After the break, we've got the listener mail segment and can't let it go. I just want to remind you there are many great ways now to listen to the podcast. There are podcast apps for both Apple and Android phones. Spotify is also a very good way to listen to podcasts. If you're already subscribed to Spotify, search for Cricket Unfiltered there. My favorite podcast app is the Pocket Casts app. That's what I listen to most of my podcasts on. I also use the Downcast app. And uh, if you've got time, please rate and review the show on whatever app you listen to the podcast on. There's been some lovely reviews lately, which I will get to. And a little bit of show news, I'll tell Steve and Joe as well. Cricket Unfiltered is going to have a live recording with an audience. So it's going to happen between the first Ashes Test and the second Ashes Test. It's going to happen at my cafe probably. And uh, yeah, it should be fun. That announcement with the dates and the details will be coming soon. Exciting times. Yeah, very exciting. And uh, I'm sure some palms will turn up. We can get into the whole Ashes banter. Coming up after the break, listener mail and can't let it go. Thank you. 
Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Andrew Mentzel. I'm here with Joe William Barton and Steve James Wilson. And uh, before we move on, there's been a bit of local news on cricket, although it's all happening in England at the moment. The schedule for the Women's Big Bash League was announced uh, yesterday, local time, and uh, it will begin on Friday, October the 18th. And it's the first time the Women's Big Bash League will be a standalone tournament. There'll be seven carnival-style weekends across the regular season. There'll be some midweek games. And then the top four teams will contest the finals from Friday, December 6th to Sunday, December 8th. Both semifinals and the tournament decider will be held in the city of the team that tops the ladder after the regular season. Well, I'm really excited about this change. I think moving the Women's Big Bash to its own window is a very sensible thing. But I guess any concerns that it might not get the attention it used to get when it was in the peak of summer? Not at all. I think giving it its own breathing space is is the way to uh, grow it and get more eyes on it. Um, With it happening previously around the same time as the men's there's always that sort of comparison in some people's uh, minds that it's a it's a kind of other you know this secondary competition to put it in its own space is uh, fantastic and yeah opening it up at the north sydney oval uh, in october would be great cracking little ground to watch cricket at and also very convenient for me because it's just across the road from where i live so i'll be there lovely we'll I'll be love, there together i love north sydney oval as well but uh, I, I, I i think you're right i think it's Giving it its own breathing space is is important. I think that's worked in the, the past only with other sports. The thing I want to see happen is every game televised on free to air and Foxtel. At the moment, there's 23, and then the rest are going to be streamed. I just think streaming is a barrier for some people. Not for me, not for all the tech savvy people that probably listen to this podcast. But I still think if it's on free to air or Fox, people just switch it on. And there's so many channels, so many hours in the day. Why not? have every game of the Women's Big Bash League televised? It's a question for Matty Weiss and Steve Crawley rather than for Joe Barton and Steve Wilson. <laughs> so another bit of news, and this is, could have some local implications. Yuvraj Singh has retired from all BCCI cricket, as he puts it, and is now available for World T20 Leagues. So uh, Big Bash clubs, Sign get on up. the phone, get Yuv Strong here. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big Yubi fan. He's 37 years old, but he's still got it. One season, why not? Uh, look, uh, there should be every 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 big bash team should be um should be picking up the phones and seeing working the numbers Some and seeing if they've Adelaide, got Adelaide, where there's a big Indian community, or one of the Melbourne clubs that yeah. a big Indian community. I mean, he would bring droves of fans in. He'd be popular wherever he goes. I think if if he's putting himself up as a gun for hire, then bring him in. All right, uh, let's move on now to the listener mail and uh, review segment. So I got a lovely email from Marcus Williams. Thank you, Marcus. Uh, he just sort of complimented the podcast, really, so there's no questions there. But he did say he's a, um, a big collector of Australian cricket memorabilia. It made me sort of think what my favourite bits of memorabilia are. I've got an Aussie one-day helmet from the mid-'90s. I've got Tim May's one-day jumper because I gave him a lift home after a game when he was dropped, and he said, well, I don't need this anymore. Uh, I got a first edition of Farewell to Cricket by Don Bradman that my great-grandfather bought when it was released. What about you guys? Do you have any cricket memorabilia? Not an awful lot, to be honest. I was just racking my brain there. I think I've got a, a bat signed by Graham Hick from some schoolboy's <laughs> uh, week's training thing I went on as a kid, but nothing much that beyond that. That counts as rubbish. <laughs> I've, I've got a lot of signed things along those lines. I remember... Um, 
Joel Garner came to one of my cricket camps when I was younger and had no, I was nine years old, had no idea who he was, but saw that a lot of people were very excited to see him, so I got him to sign some stuff. And I, yeah, a lot of the early early teams, England cricket teams coming out in the early 90s didn't, <laughs> didn't do great things on the field, but they were polite enough to sign a young kid's bat. Thank you, Marcus, for that email. Now, another email has come in from Elliot Baker, and this is a really interesting one. He's in England. He's been to some of the games. He says this, those who booed at Bristol were the first to line up when Warner, Smith and Finch spent 45 plus minutes amongst the crowd signing autographs and taking selfies. There was some great banter between some Poms and Brad Haddon when they presented some sandpaper to the Aussie fielding coach. Haddon responded with, toss it up here so we can use it later. Elliot says it was great to encounter some light-hearted banter up close and seeing the players and staff having a good laugh with the fans. Well, thanks for that, Elliot. That's a good insight. Our next one, let's go through some reviews that have been posted on iTunes. This one from Oscar Nominee, the power and the passion of Andrew Mensel, great host of The Great Game. Thank you. The next one. You wrote that yourself, surely. I didn't. I, didn't. I just think it's funny that I'm reading it out. Next one, great work, manners. This is, this is true. This is by far the most compelling cricket podcast on the market. I mean, they are raining down at the moment, cricket podcasts. I've been podcasting for six years. It's now like everyone's finally caught up, but this is number one. Number one right here. And the uh, last one's from New Zealand. It is super great for when looking for stuff to listen to at night. I always say if you're not a cricket fan and you need something to go to sleep, Cricket Unfiltered will do it. Thank you, Taco Shells. So we're going to bring this home with Can't Let It Go Through to the Keeper, one of my favourite segments. Steve Wilson, do you want to uh, open the batting on this one? Yeah, I will do. I mean, it's I, I can't imagine what it's like actually there, um, but coming through the, the TV, the sound, the one thing that's really sort of great, and I mean particularly doing sort of over-by-over over commentary on matches, is the, the constant need to have music in every gap. No silence should be uh, left unfilled. And, uh, what about the horns as well? The vuvuzelas are I, back. I, I don't mind a bit of that because that's the fans creating the noise themselves. It's this sort of confected fun atmosphere that they feel compelled to give by playing sort of crappy pop music between every over or every wicket that goes down it's like this idea that you have to be told when to enjoy uh, the game be told when something significant's happened just let the, the action on the pitch take place and you know we've seen the stands full of some amazing fans from Pakistan India, Bangladesh in particular but you know other countries as well so let it happen organically rather than trying to force Taylor Swift down our throats every uh, every time a wicket falls. What, what about the the um the electric guitar made out of the cricket bat does that not does that not get you fired up no file under the same uh, <laughs> the same thing there that yeah someone murdering uh, the opening pass to Wonderwall just after Sean Marsh has been dismissed doesn't really do it for me oh that was typical grumpy Northern English whinge there fancy people having a good time at the cricket. Fancy, I want people to have a good time at the cricket. going and dancing and enjoying themselves. That's and going, all right for the oh, big that was bash. fun. Let's go back. Uh, Joe, what's your can't let it go through to the keeper? I mean, I haven't got quite the same level of, of, of rage as Steve, but I've been disappointed and particularly disappointed in um, in Afghanistan's performance, a team that I had great expectations for. I really wanted to see them do well. I wanted to believe that they could be have this breakout tournament as we've seen, you know, Sri Lanka do in the past. I really, really want to see them Shazad's been having well. a whinge online. Have you been keeping up with that? I haven't followed what he's had to say. But how much Shazad's been very upset that he was taken out of the squad yeah well 
I haven't seen it. <laughs> but I'm just but, telling you. But what, but what you do when you talk to each other? But what I um, yeah, I would have wanted to. I wanted to see Rashid Khan just rip through, rip through orders. I think he's he's bowled quite well. I think he's taken kind of three wickets at twenty three or something along those lines. But I seem to remember though in qualifying, Afghanistan lost their first couple of games and they needed to win win out to get to the World Cup and they won out in their qualifying tournament. So maybe they need this shocking start now and to be backed against the wall. Perhaps uh, what they need is to play the Netherlands and Ireland and yeah. <laughs> those sort of heavyweights rather than I, w- I wonder if they've sort of, to a certain degree, and, and we both, you know, probably as guilty as anyone, they sort of believe their own hype into it because everyone wanted them to be a great team. They wanted it to be this fantastic story that they were given some good raps when, mm. you know, because they have got talent in there and they are exciting, but they're still a very inexperienced team. They're still sort of finding their way on this stage. So maybe we all, Excuse me, maybe we all got a bit sort of carried away with the story that we wanted to happen and the actual reality wasn't quite quite what we'd imagined. Yeah, I think that's that's a very fair point. And maybe that this is a team of four years away or even eight years away before we really see the might of Afghanistan on the world stage. Very good, can't let it go. Joe, I've got two can't let it goes. Uh, the first one is a, a little one about the state of English cricket. I'm really worried about reports coming out of England that the World Cup is not really penetrating outside the cricket bubble. The fact that it's on um, cable TV Sky over there. TV, and, yeah. and the, I'm just surprised that if the England games at least aren't on free-to-air. I would think you would want your local team's games at least on free-to-air in a World Cup. So that's worrying. And I heard Will McPherson from the Evening Standard in England saying that you know, when you leave the cricket ground and sort of go out from it, it doesn't really feel like there's a World Cup going on. And uh, that's a shame because when I was in England in the 99 World Cup, it really did feel like uh, the World Cup was going on and you get in a minicab and, you know, you're talking to the driver about the cricket. And it was just, it was a really great atmosphere. So it's a shame that maybe it's not quite there yet for this World Cup, but maybe as the tournament progresses, it, it might uh, gather in speed. Yeah, I think that is a problem in, in the UK. I mean, what happened was that you had the, the 2005 Ashes, which obviously just drew the whole country together. I mean, there was a period, you know, for whatever, seven or eight weeks there where all anyone was talking about was the cricket. It was incredible. Um, off the back of that, Sky came in and paid an awful lot of money to the ECB to, to get the rights. And that's the trade-off that organisations have. It's like, do you want more people coming in are you investing in the future by getting it in front of more eyeballs or do you take the money sky do a fantastic job of covering it if you've got the subscription to that then you're very very well covered but there is a a a genuine concern that like you say the host in the world cup it's this potentially going to go to the final or even win it a chance to really rejuvenate cricket in uh, the uk but it's only going to be within its own confines rather than reaching the extremities and my can't let it go, my real can't let it go now is I'm having this awful sinking feeling combining with sort of nightmares and night terrors that England might win this World Cup. Like, I've gone through my whole life with the, the comforting knowledge that England have never won a 50-over World Cup. And, and as this tournament's begun and as the, the climax draws ever nearer, this this uneasy feeling that England could do something special at Lords in July just makes me uncomfortable, makes me sad, makes me worried, makes me anxious. I just, how will the world be if England win the World Cup? You know, it's not a world I want to live in at the moment. This, this is definitely you just building Steve up for a massive fall. This is, this is, none of this is genuine. 
you've got two Marsh boys there who are going to be the roadblock to that and the saviour, I think. Yeah, well, there's, there's no reason why they can't. I think from what we've seen so far, England and India are the, are the two sort of stand, sleeping tablets standout yeah. teams, but uh, Australia have got room for improvement and, and can, can shake it up as well. But no. Far too nice, Steve. Far too nice. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we've come to the end of our studio time, our allotted time here in the News Corp HQ studios. The podcast now queuing up out the door as this medium grows and grows. Uh, thanks for coming on, Steve. Uh, we'll catch up soon for another podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, man, as always. Joe, thanks for coming in at the end of a marathon shift for you. Just uh, You can see the finish line now. It's home to bed. Love and life, mate. Yep, I'll be better in an hour. All right, uh, you've been listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. We have updates coming all this week. I've got an interview coming with an Australian Women's Ashes squad member. I'm going to talk to Sam Landsberger in the UK about what's happening in the World Cup. I've lined up some feature interviews with some big cricketers over the next few weeks. So stay tuned. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel. That's Cricket Unfiltered, done this time. (laughs) 